Take your Bibles, if you would, and we are going to try to cover quite a bit of ground tonight because I want us to put some things together as they happened, and um, we have a a tendency uh, when we read our Bibles that we see a chapter division, oh, okay, this is a new event and a new time and a Uh, something different. No, those chapter divisions and verse divisions are only put in your Bible so you can find where you are. Uh, Really has nothing to do with the storyline. I mean, sometimes it, it, it matches up, but more often than not, it confuses things than helps things. Uh, if you're trying to read the whole story, but I'm glad they're there because it would take you half a service to find one passage if they weren't. Amen? And so uh, let's start with Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And, uh, oh, there's just a part of me wants to preach a whole sermon right here in Matthew chapter 18 and not even get through the whole part of this. But uh, we have... Jesus is giving the final training here. He has presented himself in uh, many different ways. He is teaching the essence of the truths that the disciples will have to propagate after Jesus goes into heaven. Uh, Last week we spent about the church. And and I still want to just challenge you. to to understand Jesus did not leave anything except the written testimony of his life and his church. Uh, I'll tell you, you can find hundreds of organizations and, and everything that is out there, but what Jesus left was his church and his word. And I'll tell you, we can't improve on that, and nor should we attempt to. Anytime you hear someone saying, well, you know, the church really isn't reaching the way it should. We need to have, and fill in the blank. It really doesn't matter what you put in the blank. That's not Jesus' plan. When missionaries call us, first question, what church are you out of? Every once in a while we'll get somebody calls, oh, uh, I'm really not out of a church. We, we have this organization that we started and we do, uh, okay, well, that's very nice, but we only support local church missions. Uh, we're not interested in teaching you what you ought to do. If you don't know that by now, why are you doing it? Amen? Uh, we don't want you teaching us. What we're looking for is people who are already of a like mind and a like heart. That's how we work together. It's based on doctrine. But guess what? There's no general council, grand poobah, uh, pope-like being, or any of those things in the Baptist church. It's not necessary. Uh, We cooperate with those churches with which we agree And we're still doing the very same things that Jesus taught his disciples all those years ago. Amen. 
And uh, no, we're not afraid of technology. Uh, but I'll tell you what, technology sure messes up an awful lot of things. You know how hard it is to have a real conversation with a real human being today? I mean, you're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden their phone goes off. Oh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. What did you say? Yeah, well, you can't have a meaningful conversation while somebody's texting someone else. Uh, and by the way, don't drive and text. I think we understand that, right? Uh, I mean, there's just so much. And don't let me catch you texting in church. That would not be nice. Uh, what we are trying to do is communicate. But people don't talk anymore. It's just little blips. Jesus talked to people. It wasn't a soundbite. It wasn't some group of strange and ubiquitous abbreviations. T-U, da-da-da-da, L-O-L, da-da-da, with a semicolon and a parenthesis and all kinds of silly stuff. I mean, we do that today to communicate. We call it communicating. But are we really communicating? And this is what Jesus did. And this is what we try to do in the church service. Somebody said, why don't you have a Bible study where everybody just sits around and shares their ideas on the Word of God? Well, Jesus didn't teach that way in the Bible. He taught and he trained teachers. And by the way, if you go to a college and you sit in a classroom and the teacher says, let's all just sit around and share our ideas, I'd go to the administration and say, I want my money back. I, I didn't pay money to tell you what I already know. I, I'm, I'm trying to learn something here, and I'm not going to learn from other students. I, I want the teacher to teach. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the reason why we do this. We're trying to follow this direction, and we come here... At Matthew chapter 18, and at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, isn't that an incredible question? Who's the most important person in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the big shots? I mean, I'm sure Brother Mike, traveling from churches, ran into some big shots. And uh, one of the reasons why uh, I go to the fellowship meetings I do go to and don't go to others is for that same exact reason. You see, there are no big shots when you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is going to answer that very thoroughly here. It says, And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Now, could you, we got to take a minute here and get the picture. Can we do that? Here you got 12 disciples. Big, full-grown men. I'm sure Peter was kind of scary looking, especially when he opened his mouth. And James and John were really uh, 
you know, uh, if we get through our material tonight, they're going to be wanting to call fire down out of heaven and burn up a bunch of people. I mean, these are really nice people to eat lunch with. And, and here are these 12 disciples all crowded around Jesus simply saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gets a little child. Thought about illustrating this, bringing Jason up here and just setting him on the edge of the pulpit. Maybe we should get Taylor to come up here. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what they would do. They'd be self-conscious. And, like, mm-hmm. and of course, if it were Jason, somebody would smile at him and he'd go, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but to take a little child and put them in the midst of all of these people And these disciples are staring at this little kid trying to figure out what's going on. And here's what Jesus said. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can you tell me one other religious group? Now, I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. Uh, uh, You talk about any religious group in the world, other than the Bible, where they don't have very important people that they worship and dress up in, in special garments and and uh, decorate them. I mean, even go to the Far East and and the biggest and the most important temple of Buddha has the biggest and the most ornate statue and they, they decorate it with flowers and all of these things. Very similar to, you know, the very right Reverend Dr. Uh, whatever, so-and-so who graduated cemetery with all kinds of degrees. And, and uh, yeah, that was on purpose. Uh, and you get all of these books. And In fact, I got an invitation today. Uh, it said, please go to such and such a website and pick up your invitation card. And uh, Dr. Singh, now there's 40 gazillion Singhs. Just open up the phone book and look. But uh, this guy's a real special one. He had a picture of him standing there with Hillary Clinton beside him. And uh, he's a spiritual religious leader that's going to teach you how to make a million bucks. I'll tell you what, I don't want that kind of religion. I want the kind that Jesus had. He said, except ye humble yourself and become as a little child. Remember one time somebody was talking and saying, you actually believe the Bible? Yes. Don't you feel a little childish? I said, you know, that's a great compliment. Well, why? Jesus said, except you become converted and become as a little child, shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather be thought childish and spend eternity with Jesus than to be recognized as some great thought processor and some great religious leader and end up spending eternity without Jesus in a place called hell. How about it? There is no room for human effort if you're serving Christ. 
You can't do anything to help him. In fact, there's nothing you should be doing without his help. Amen? That's what Jesus was teaching here. And he goes on to talk about uh, offending and the price of offenses. And this is uh, where it talks about if you offend one of these little ones, it's better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were drowned in the sea. How many people here know what a millstone actually is? It's a big round piece of rock. And it's got a hole in the center. Usually they make it, cut it out of wedges and will band it together with steel or brass or something like that. And they polish the inside. And there's two pieces that come down on top of each other. And the grain pours in and the millstone grounds it to flour. I think it was Brother Marshall found a piece of old millstone from the mill that his whatever it was, great-grandfather or something like that. I mean, this goes way, way, way back, almost as early as there were people living in that valley in West Virginia. And uh, uh, I remember seeing that somewhere, whether he was able to haul it up to the house or just left it in the wood. But this one just little, looked like a pie, uh, was well over 100 pounds, and there were several of those to make a millstone. Don't try to swim with a millstone around your neck. Amen. Uh, Jesus is simply saying, it is better to lose your life than to offend one of these little ones. Now, you know what he's talking about there? He's not talking about our present day definition of the word offend. I mean, everybody is offended today. In fact, I read an article that was written, of course, in our illustrious New York Times, that why don't you people get the idea that a religion that doesn't approve of homosexuality may be offensive to people? Well, excuse me, sir, but you didn't write this book. It was around a little while before you were. And if you want to change the definitions, be my guest. But I'm still going to take advantage of the opportunity to call you the liar and the pervert that you are. Amen? I mean, this is simply the truth. We do not have the opportunity to remanufacture truth to agree with us. Truth is truth because it is, not because you say so. Or the new definition of truth because society agrees on it. Uh, let me tell you something. You can find a society somewhere that will agree to just about anything. I mean, how many societies? Brother Wells and his wife Deborah and their family are in Papua New Guinea and have had opportunity to deal with societies who are less than a generation removed from cannibalism. They agreed that that was a good thing. Uh, that's why you need to take a book like this to the Bible, the Bible to those people and explain it to them so that they can understand that 
That's really not something that God ever intended human beings to do. Are we still together? The word offense here is talking about causing someone to not believe in Christ. You know, I think in my heart of these quote-unquote professors in colleges that take these young people and lie to them about the Word of God. That's what this is talking about. But it's got a closer application. You know, there are some times when you and I do things which are biblically classified as sin. I mean, it's something that is going to happen. And instead of just simply rejecting us because of our stupidity, they reject the Lord. That's a scary thing. Jesus said, we need to be careful about offenses. And we'll... We could turn to other passages, and then we come down to verse 7. It says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And so we have the definition here. The offense is something that stops somebody from getting saved. Now let me ask you a question. Can your hand stop you from getting saved? Can it? No. You see, Jesus is using something that we call hyperbole exaggeration but he's trying to drill in a truth you see people have taken these verses literally and have locked themselves up in monasteries and beat themselves with sticks and have cut off uh, uh, mutilated themselves because They thought that it was a hand that was doing something wrong or an eye or whatever, and we won't get into all the gory details. I mean, it's so perverse, it's absolutely beyond human comprehension. But you don't do anything that you don't think about first. And you don't think about anything that doesn't start right here in your heart. You can't take your heart out. You can't get rid of your head. I know you you had a headache and 
I just wish I could chop it off and set it in the refrigerator for a couple hours and put it back on when it stops hurting. Doesn't work that way, sorry. But what Jesus is simply saying here is you and I have to understand something. If we're going to humble ourselves as little children, the battle is going to be on this level right here. You see, there are many different levels people desire to serve the Lord on. Christmas and Easter. Sunday morning only. Sunday morning and Thursday. Sunday morning, Thursday, and Thursday night. Sunday morning, Thursday, Thursday, I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday, and visitation. And then every time the doors are open. I mean, there's different levels there. Jesus is saying, listen, let's forget about what level we want to serve the Lord on and put this in a life and death struggle. We have got to up the uh, intensity of our desire to serve the Lord or we're going to fall into the pattern of offenses. This is what Jesus is simply teaching here. How do you keep out of the pattern of offenses? How do you stay on that level of intensity? Have you ever watched a little child play with plastic soldiers like Jason and Joey like to do? Andrew, his favorite was little toy cars. He would literally just line them up bumper to bumper down across the living room floor. And I mean, he was just, I mean, you couldn't even hardly uh, disturb him as he was putting all those things together. Say, what are you doing? I'm playing traffic jam. (laughs) Talk about growing up in New York, huh? But little children approach the simplest things with an incredible intensity. You know why? Because they haven't been taught to multitask yet. They can only do one thing at a time. And whether it's eating a bowl of ice cream or playing with their toys or fighting with their sister. I mean, it's got to be maximum intensity. If you humble yourself as a little child before the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're only going to be worried about one thing. Jesus. And if you allow that level of intensity, if you will work at it, that means when we mess up, we confess our sins and we go back. And we do it again until we can live the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. That means not any additions, not any additives, unadulterated, if you like the scientific term. Pure, clean. There ought to be only one thing in your heart. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's about him, it's not about us. Amen? And so, 
Jesus is giving this and the other references are written there. And we, if we were to go to one of the other passages here, there'd be uh, a reference to the disciples. They found someone who was casting out demons in Jesus' name and they said, we rebuked him because he was not of us. He wasn't in our group. And Jesus made a statement that if they're not against us, they're for us. And let me just give you a practical application to that. You know what? I don't go around saying Christians ought not celebrate Christmas. Now, there's an awful lot of goofy stuff that's attached to Christmas. Santa Claus and Rudolph and all all those silly little things. But even Linus knows that it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Right? Why would I get in a fight with Linus? Listen, what we need to do is just serve the Lord and not fight with everybody who doesn't do it quite right. Amen? That's what Jesus is teaching here. Let's not, let's keep Jesus the main. Now, if somebody comes into the church and they're teaching uh, different things, let me know about it. We'll, we'll get that straightened out. This isn't the place, and it's not talking about compromise on doctrine. But when I'm out passing out tracts on the street and somebody says, I'm saved and Jesus is my Savior, I really appreciate what you're doing, I say thank you. Amen? We don't have to get in a fight with everybody. The Lord will straighten that out when we get to heaven. And so... Here we have the first set, and now we come to the rest of this chapter. Let's go down to verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now, if you'll notice in your outline, I have this section This is capital letter T, the function of the local church in resolving disputes. How many of you saw the local church in that first phrase right there? Uh, Let me tell you, it's not, other than the fact that it's talking about a brother, someone who is related to you, and, and we are related to each other through Jesus Christ as members of the church. But what it's talking about here is a personal conflict between two people. You know, we've been here just over 20 years. And I praise God, I don't remember most of the personal conflicts that have occurred in our church. I mean, I purposely try to forget those things. But let me tell you, they've been around. Most of them were just... Simple misunderstandings. Praise God. The vast majority of them weren't even worth remembering. And here's what the Bible says. If thy brother offend thee, okay, trespass against thee, I'm sorry. 
Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Don't go tell somebody else. Talk to that person. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto whom? The church. Hey, where did that come from? I mean, you read most books, the church didn't start until Pentecost. Uh, well, why is Jesus instructing something that doesn't exist? Well, it does exist. I'm sorry. It's there. Uh, Jesus is, the church will fully be empowered on the day of Pentecost. It will be launched, as we say, but the church was in effect. The church was in operation And Jesus was explaining to these disciples how to deal with personal problems because they're going to come up. You know, all you need for an argument is two people in the same room. Isn't that correct? But let me tell you, we can take it a step further. How many of you have ever argued with yourself? Okay. If you can't agree with yourself all the time, how do you expect to agree with everybody else? So we expect these things. It is normal. But if we'll go back to the beginning of the chapter, one of the wonderful things about little children is, I mean, they can be coming to blows. And when you hit me, I'm going to hit you. And 30 seconds later, An adult comes and sets them right, and they're back down playing together again as if nothing ever happened. You know, that's part of humbling yourself and being a little child. It takes an adult to hold a grudge, my friend. That's an adult thing. You've got to grow up and learn how to do that. God never intended human beings to carry these things. And he is giving instruction here to the church on how to handle this. And if a person will not listen, then they are to be excluded from the membership and the fellowship of the church. And if we'll read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and other passages until they come to a point of repentance and want to rejoin. The the whole purpose of discipline in the church is to bring that wayward one back and to keep their attitude from spreading. I've heard stories where people have gotten at odds with each other and literally divided the church, a church, into two warring camps. You're either on his side or his side. And uh, let me tell you, church can't long survive like that. Uh, That's not what God intended to have happen. And then we come into verse 21, and we've got to touch on this. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? How many times are you re- were you required to forgive one another under the law? They were to take their sacrifice, and that's where they were to get forgiveness. But what did Jesus say? The keeping of the law was to love 
the Lord thy God and to love your neighbor as yourself. But under the law, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, railing for railing, cursing for cursing. So Peter thought he was really making a big step when he said seven times. But what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven? I want you to think about something. Could you be, or should you be, as willing to forgive others their sins as Jesus is to forgive you your sins. Amen? But, let's, let's be careful. That does not mean that you just, um, how shall we exercise this thing, uh, that you just stand there and allow people to hurt you and punish you and take advantage of you, et cetera, et cetera. And, and some people have taken from this a totally pacifistic view that if uh, someone were to come in and want to harm your family and rob them, that you were supposed to just let that happen. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about two believers who are struggling with life, the limits of God's forgiveness is man's refusal to accept it. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just give you a sin meter and when you got to one point, poof, you're gone. How many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross? All of them. Amen? And so, again... We take this entire passage here and what we're dealing with is back to the very beginning. It's all based around this. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Humble yourself as a little child. Just simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to keep you from offending others. That's going to keep you from offending yourself, as we might say. It's going to keep you with an intensity in the battle and it's going to give you the opportunity to help others in the church keep right and it's going to allow you to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ instead of on what other people have done to you or for you. Now we end with this parable here, and uh, let's look at verse 23 through the end of the chapter. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for much as he had, for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out 
and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now what Jesus is doing here, and we're not going to get to John at all, but is... He is presenting himself as the source of forgiveness. You see, when I humble myself as that little child, what am I doing? I'm bringing all of my sin and my fault to Jesus Christ, am I not? Now, we've been through this passage, but let's just take it a minute. If you look at most commentaries, they try to convert this 10,000 talents into a cash amount, and it comes out fairly large. I mean, if you had um, what um, at today's market, it would be incredible. Each talent was about 75 pounds of silver. So if you have 75 with four zeros behind it, that would be 750,000 pounds of silver. I think silver is somewhere around $40 an ounce, about $500 a pound, so 500 times 750,000. I mean, you got a fairly decent amount of money there. Uh, if you want to do it the other way, a talent in that day was equivalent to a hundred. And 16 days wages. So that's like 1.16 million days wages. You couldn't earn that kind of money unless you worked for the government. Um, I mean, that kind of money is just unknown. A million days, 1,160,000 days wages. How do you lose that kind of money? How do you owe that kind of money? I don't, I don't even understand it. It happens. The other guy owned 100 pence. Now that's 100 days wages. Not quite one talent. Now Jesus was trying to teach us something here. He looks at your sin to God as the 1.16 million days wages. He looks at other people's sin toward you as the 100 days wages. By the way, if you owe a huge debt and you go into bankruptcy court, guess what? 
If somebody else owes you money, do you get to collect that? Not unless you're a thief. Because when you surrender your debt to the judge, you also surrender your income to the judge. That's how it works with this ideal forgiveness. When I surrender my sin, what is owed me actually goes to the account of he who took my debt. And so I have no right to hold against someone else what belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we getting this? This is, for you see, forgiveness is not. Oh, I know you really hurt me and you were really mean to me, but I, I'm just going to be bigger than that. I'm not going to remember it or hold it against you. Um, I have one term for you. It's called liar. No one ever forgets. You can pretend if you want the land of make-believe. Might be another place to go for that kind of stuff. But... True biblical forgiveness is not based upon you. It's based upon Jesus. He forgave you every sin. So why are you refusing to forgive someone else their sins? By the way, if you really want to make somebody upset at you, forgive them. That's something most people can't handle. But it will set you free because you're not carrying the weight of their wrong anymore. And let me tell you, if you will give the weight of your sin and other people's sins toward you to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he keeps perfect books. He's going to straighten that. Somebody said, well, they're going to get away with it. Excuse me, that's no longer in your realm of prerogative because you gave all the debt and everything that's owed you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that has to settle the accounts. And let me tell you something, he'll settle them. In fact, if that doesn't drive you to pray for that very person who has wronged you after we just got done Offenses is better to have a millstone hung around your neck. I mean, all of these things are attached to each other. This was one series of teaching that Jesus did. He is finalizing how Christians ought to behave. And guess what? We're never going to match up all the time. Because we're human beings. That's why we have to make things right. It starts with the Lord. Then it starts, then it goes over to other human beings. But, but pastor, you don't understand how many times. Well, I understand that. And again, if somebody's beating you up, you don't have to go home and just let them beat you again. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we're talking about is... People hurt people. And it won't help you by carrying their sin around with you. 
You've got to give that to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will carry the burden. Amen? You see, unless we humble ourselves as that little child, none of this can happen. You know, when a little child forgives, they forget too now, don't they? It takes an adult. We've already been over this ground and we're done. But what is in Matthew chapter 18 is not in any other religion than a Bible-believing church. You see, every other religion has some other way of seeking forgiveness. That's what confession and penance is all about in the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Uh, that's what doing good in the Protestant Church is all about. You, you do these things so you can pay the debt for your sins. Wrong! Jesus paid the debt for, his, for your sins. He paid the debt for every sin. And so it's my surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ that allows me to shed the shackles of grudging and all of these other things and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in forgiveness. I think we need to get that turn off your cell phone sign and put it up before the Thursday service too. So, no, preacher's not mad at you. I don't even know who did it. We're just... But uh, let's take a moment, because this is serious stuff. No big shots, no personal accomplishments. The greatest is the humblest. Offenses are going to come, but you let God tally the books. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? And when you feel that someone has pushed you beyond your limits and your ability to understand and forgive, go back and read the parable because God, what you've done to God in your sins against Him cannot be equaled in a human relationship in a one human being's sins toward another. Just can't happen. In fact, some people get all upset and say, why does God talk about an eternal hell? Well, because that's how long it'll take to pay back 1.16 million days wages. It'll take eternity. I mean, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, there was no stock exchange. There was no such thing as millions of dollars like there are today. It was a very simple, if you were well-to-do, you had an extra change of clothes and food in storage. If you were a normal person, you had one set of clothes that you were wearing and food to eat for the day. 
far different than how we live today. In an economy like that, how could you earn 1,160,000 days wages? Not in a thousand lifetimes. Just couldn't happen. And Jesus is simply saying, you want God's forgiveness. That forgiveness will translate toward others. And the whole idea of forgiveness is not holding to someone's account wrongs that they have done. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on the fact that Jesus paid for every sin. Now, is everybody going to be forgiven for every sin? No, we dealt with that a couple weeks ago in Jesus' teaching. We dealt with it on Sunday morning. It's the straight gate. It's the narrow way. And it's few there be that find it. God will take care of it. But you need to humble yourself as that little child and follow the Savior. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in hearts and lives. And Lord, that we would be able to surrender ourselves to you, that we'd be able to humble ourselves as that little child Lord, I pray that we would not allow pride and self-service and all of these other things to get in the way of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just ask the Holy Spirit to work. We'll have that piano begin to play. And if you need to spend some time, the altar is open.